Welcome to What's Important to You, a podcast created by Montgomery Hospice and Prince George's Hospice Center for Learning with only one goal, and that is to amplify the reach and the volume of diverse voices in healthcare. In this special episode, we talk to palliative medicine consultants, a group of experts in palliative care. Join us as we learn more about what palliative care can do to help those who are living or caring for someone seriously ill. My name is Monica Escalante. I will be your host, and I'm delighted to introduce my panel today. Dr. Davis Ryer. Welcome, everybody. Uh, I'm a medical oncologist. And also, for, for 25 years, I practiced medical oncology and simultaneously been um, the medical director of a hospice and palliative care program. So I have a great passion for end of life for patients, their families, other providers that has really uh, led my way through medicine. Thank you, Dr. Schreier. Dr. Lisa Berroa Garcia. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Um, I am an internist by training and I am also board certified in hospice and palliative care. And given that I am bilingual, I speak Spanish as well. I am uh, very, very uh, passionate about providing end of life care and also palliative care for patients in the Latino community and uh, providing uh, that compassionate care that is needed to gentle the journey at the end. Thank you, Dr. Berroa Garcia. Last but not least, Ms. Melanie Reynolds. Hi, I'm Melanie Reynolds. I'm a nurse practitioner certified in oncology and in hospice and palliative care. I've been an MP for 10 years, and my I feel like my calling as an NP is to help people who are underserved in our community uh, deal with their serious illnesses and help them understand what's going on, educate the families, educate the community at the end of their lives. I feel very privileged to be with you today. And I have the pleasure to talk about palliative care and this very innovative practice that um, you all together are starting called Palliative Medicine Consultants. And I am just going to start asking this question. Uh, What is palliative care? So palliative care, going back to to what the word means, palliate means to alleviate. And this service is uh, meant to provide care in consultation service for patients that have a serious illness that are still undergoing disease-directed treatment, that are still having uh, uh, treatment for their diseases, when those illnesses cause significant complex medical needs and also cause spiritual and psychosocial distress. Um, We help alleviate, going back to that principle of what palliative means, help alleviate the symptom burden uh, of of those illnesses that are serious for patients and also for their families. That was so nice, Lisa. You do such a good job of describing things. Um, This uh, helps me understand it in sort of a different way. This uh, cartoon looks at palliative care in the big circle and hospice care in the small circle. And what, what that means is hospice, you have to have a terminal diagnosis 
with a prognosis of six months or less. In palliative care, we've selected patients who have a life-limiting disease who we expect to have a survival of approximately two years or less. So this really helps patients and their families with the continuum of their disease as it progresses. So if you think of um, like a funnel or a megaphone that cheerleaders use, the small part is really hospice and end of life. As, the, as it gets larger and goes out, that's where patients who have life-limiting diseases begin the process of their decline. For example, you may have COPD, but it's not a disease that's gonna shorten your life in the next five to 10 years. Once we think that you have two years or less to live, that's where we wanna get our team involved with you, helping you understand why tests are done, what can we do to alleviate symptoms? How can you get the best treatment? What does that best treatment mean? How do you find the doctor that works well for you and your family? How do you navigate the cultural barriers that exists? But also when it comes time that you really only have six months or left to live, you've got a partner to help you make that transition into end of life care. And I know that these Palliative care has been provided in different settings, but I don't think there is another practice offering community-based palliative care. Um, so I'm really thrilled that we're talking about this innovative service. Um, but it's hard to explain. When is palliative care appropriate? And, and, and Dr. Schreier, you were saying it's a two-year sort of um, serious illness, two-year time frame. Uh, can you give us some examples? Or Dr. Virag Garcia, can you give us some examples of when is palliative care appropriate? Yes, yeah, very good. So I, I love to use this, this um, illustration uh, to, to kind of go over when is palliative care appropriate. And I like the to, to use that same example that uh, Dr. Schreier presented, let's say a patient with COPD. So to receive palliative care, we can have that since the moment of diagnosis of terminal or serious illness. And as you can see here in the um, illustration, when patients are having um, the treatments that are, are for prevention for those diseases, and they're still working along with that primary care doctors. But once a serious illness is diagnosed and palliative care can enter to help the patient walk that journey or until the point of eligibility for transition to hospice care. So let's say the patient has COPD and they started their, their treatments and um, is getting one or two exacerbations of those symptoms in a year. Uh, but then the patient started to require other um, services, like, for instance, having uh, to visit the ER more times, like two to three times in a year, then having more frequent exacerbations. Now the amount of oxygen is not enough, and we have they have to increase that or change the treatment, and also their their quality of life is being compromised because of all those visits to the ER treatments have been changed and when that prognosis looks like it's, it's about like two years in terms of life expectancy we recommend palliative care to start and then we can help the patient walk that journey because that part where we have in the blue box where it says palliative care that's the patient living. So when when you are experiencing this disease, uh, 
you don't know what you don't know. You you have to walk through that process, and that's when palliative care can you know work alongside with your doctors, alongside with you and your in your family, and based on your goals, help you transition to that to that part. So when when a patient with COPD staying to that example, you know, have all more exacerbations in a year and is requiring hospitalizations and now requires to have, you know, ventilation, then we think that at that point we should be involved to help with that with that part of their care. And the, the other nice thing that I think this graph shows, Lisa, is that this shows the benefit of palliative care, because as you so nicely pointed out, people who have, for example, COPD, heart failure, oncology issues, they're going into the hospital, coming out of the hospital, into the hospital, out of the hospital. And these fluctuations in their care are very, very difficult, and it becomes very difficult to get back to your baseline. So when you enter into palliative care, that line can be smoothed out. So if you think about your loved ones, your patients, your friends or family, you're gonna think, oh my gosh, I get it. They went in the hospital, they never really got back to their baseline. They went in again, they never got it. But their decline becomes a very, very rocky road. I don't know if you've ever had the experience when you're landing a plane and it's so turbulent, you reach out, you grab your the person next to your hand, you close your eyes, you say a prayer, but actually you land, you open your eyes, get off the plane, catch your taxi, go see your family. Well, for people who have life-limiting diseases or terminal diseases, some of them, they don't land. They don't get to get off the plane. And what we want, palliative care wants to provide them is a smooth landing and just enabling them to get off the plane in a gentle, uh, in a gentle fashion um, with fewer complications and psychological and medical uh, support. And it sounds like it doesn't take anything away from all the other services the patients are receiving. It sounds like it can go on top of everything else to augment the care. And it's not mutually exclusive with anything else. You just have it on top as support, a palliation on top of the other treatments. You don't have to give up any treatments, correct? That is absolutely right. And and I'm glad you, you mentioned that we are it's a, it's a coordination of, of service. It's, it's not us uh, taking over or in any way, uh, you know, this, uh, you know, discouraging what you're, you're doing with your primary, your primary doctor. We wanted to enhance your quality of life by optimizing and helping you with a symptom burden that is caused by, as Dr. Schreier said, that kind of bumpy road. Like you're, 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 you're getting into, into those, those episodes that are becoming too frequent and we have to help you that time. Yeah, it sounds like many people may not even know they qualify for this benefit they may have under their insurances. So who is a candidate for palliative care? Ms. Melanie? So as Dr. Schreier and, and Dr. Barroa Garcia said earlier, it is a patient or a patient, any patient with a serious illness. So any patient with a serious illness who would benefit from management of the symptoms related to that illness. And those symptoms can be physical, psychological, emotional, um, related to the actual illness or the treatments that the treatments for the illness. 
uh, we have, we see a lot of patients who don't have a lot, they don't have a lot of symptoms from their disease, but once they start treatment, such as chemotherapy, they have symptoms such as nausea, they have pain um, related to the, to the spread of the illness, the spread of the disease. Um, we can help manage the physical symptoms and then other members of our team are able to help them manage their emotional and spiritual symptoms. That is wonderful. As far as physical symptoms um, that are identifiable, can we give some examples? Is it nausea? Is it um, just, just a few examples? I want the, the listeners and the viewers to be able to picture whether they qualify for this service or not. Pain management is always something, um, and nausea, as, as you pointed out appetite, there's three that I can think of right, right off the top of my head. Mm -hmm. We can also help with shortness of breath. I think a lot of people who have illnesses such as COPD and congestive heart failure live with shortness of breath that limits the amount of activity that they can do and affects their quality of life. So that actually is a, is a big symptom that we, we help to manage. And we're able to do that without having to affect the way that the patient is being treated. So as Dr. Burrow Garcia said before, our involvement with a patient does not limit the amount of disease directed therapy that they can get. So as long as we're we're treating the symptom, you can still get your chemotherapy, you can still take your medication to extend your life, but we will manage the physical emotional, psychological symptoms as best we can to improve the quality of your life. Hmm. Another symptom also, uh, Monica, in, in, in I, I echo uh, other two panelists, is uh, fatigue, chronic fatigue. A lot of patients report to you, I I just feel wiped out. Like how can in, in, in you, in looking at ways of like, for example, how to preserve your energy. Some patients don't know how to do that. And when we come in, something as simple as, let's say, if you're going to be cutting things in to cook today, let's just sit down where you're we're cutting those things and then you can just finish, you know, cooking your meal. And that simple advice, let's say, looking at, you know, chronic fatigue, of course, we have other pharmacological ways, but no pharmacological ways of how to preserve your energy. Sounds like palliative care helps preserve quality of life or undergoing treatments. Um, yeah. The other thing I would, would say that palliative care can do for patients from an oncology standpoint, so often when patients and their families go into the doctor's office and they get their diagnosis, they, um, they get amnesia. They're, they're, they can't, after the diagnosis comes out of the doctor's mouth, they can't hear anything else and they really can't absorb it. So all of a sudden they're being told, you're gonna to get blood work, you're gonna get a CT scan, you're gonna get a PET scan, I'm gonna send you to the radiation doctor and I'm also gonna have you see a surgeon. They write, the doctor writes it all down, they go home, their family's calling, asking them the questions. And what a palliative care doctor can do 
is just help tell the story to the patient and the family. Put it all into perspective. Say, yes, the reason why you're getting this is because of this and this because of this. And make sure that you understand the sequence of events and that you agree with them. And it's not that the oncologist didn't do their job. It's just the psychological dynamics and the power of, an, of a cancer diagnosis. It can truly be paralyzing. And a palliative care physician a team can help you travel that journey so that you really, really understand it. That's a beautiful explanation. Is how is palliative care provided in our organization? And this we are keeping in mind two target audiences. One is our own patients in the hospice side and patients for any other hospice that we might be collaborating with, as well as community members. So how is palliative care provided? Well, I have one story that I think about patients in our, our system that are hospice patients. So we have two, two services that we offer at this point in time. One of them is hospice for Prince George's in Montgomery County, and the other is palliative care. So, you know, Medicare regulates hospice. So it tells us how and when you can be part of hospice. It gives us all the different criteria. Um, so recently there was a, a gentleman and he had been on hospice for a, a quite a long time for pulmonary hypertension and he was taking a very expensive medicine and he wasn't declining. So at that point he became uneligible for hospice. In other words, the medication that he wanted to take was helping him live longer so he was not a candidate because his diagnosis wasn't six months or less. So we had to go in and talk to him and say, you know, you're no longer eligible for hospice. And he went ballistic. He went, like I told you earlier, he could no longer hear anything we said. All he could hear is we were taking away um, the, the support that hospice provided. He didn't understand that we were bringing in different but similar support with a social worker, with a nurse practitioner, with a chaplain, and that he would continue to get the treatment and live as long as he could live until hospice was appropriate. So he actually is our poster child for palliative care. He loves our palliative care team. He is so happy. And it was one of those things, it was you know, such a difficult conversation to have with the patient and the family because they thought we were taking stuff away from them when we were actually giving resources that were appropriate for where they were with their disease and their treatment objectives. So that's oftentimes what I think of that story really highlights palliative care within an organization such as hospice. So you're saying any patient that is no longer on a decline trajectory, but has sort of plateau and may not be eligible for hospice anymore, could be eligible for palliative care if yes. they have some symptoms. Um, providers, you can feel like you're abandoning your patients. So if you're not eligible for hospice, you may be like, where's the patient and family going to go? What's going to happen to them? Who's going to pick up their care? And, you know, Melanie, I think we'll talk about that more, but I can speak as a hospice director that it's very, very reassuring to know that you can transition a hospice patient who's no longer eligible into a palliative care program. Wonderful. And Dr. Schreier was describing one of our two um, 
one of the two places or two ways that we provide palliative care at palliative with palliative medicine consultants. So it, there is an outpatient office that Dr. Uh, Barroa Garcia is going to talk about, and then I'll talk a lot more about where um, this patient went. He's our one of our palliative medicine at home or PMC at home patients, and he is the poster child. He is doing very well. His symptoms are managed well, and he's very happy with the service that we're able to provide him because we're still able to do what we were doing as a hospice team, um, but he's able to stay on his life-prolonging medication as long as it's effective. Right. So the, the other two sites where we have a clinic-based uh, palliative care uh, at Aquilino uh, Cancer Center and soon will be at White Oak um, uh, Medical Center specifically uh, will we be providing services with along the Maryland, Maryland Oncology Group and we're very excited for that opportunity because we uh, already have uh, one of our other providers, Dr. Coleman, uh, that uh, is seeing patients at Aquilino. So we're actually expanding our, our service providing uh, there. And I would love to see, uh, you know, more patients uh, coming to us through those sites. And those are patients that are not uh, necessarily homebound, which is an aspect that we wanted to point out that you can actually still go to their their clinics and, and receive the care there under the umbrella of, you know, where they get their care with their oncologies or with other, other services. I wanted to just bring up that a consultation could be as simple as talking about advanced life directives or it could be as complicated as the entire journey that the patient takes for months or years. So really it's what is the patient looking for? How can we help you find it? How uh, and what do the um, referring physicians want or need from us? So it's really a, a sort of a trilogy of things coming together that, that help care. One thing that I, uh, I've known in the close to 20 years of doing hospice care is that I've never heard anyone say I sign up for hospice too early. But it sounds to me that this community-based palliative care program is extending a lot of the good benefits of hospice care way before the person is hospice eligible and it's provided by a separate team. I think this is something we need to find a way to um, educate our community on the benefits so they are not shy about making a referral because we can screen those referrals. And please, Melanie, tell us how can, uh, if, I, if some of our listeners or viewers are thinking, is mom or dad eligible for these? How can they um, know if their loved one is appropriate? Referral can, be, can come from multiple sources. Uh, as Dr. Schreier reported earlier, many of our referrals come from hospice patients who are no longer eligible for hospice or who patients who are referred to our hospice by outside physicians and they don't meet the criteria, eligibility criteria for admission to hospice, meaning that they don't have a prognosis of six months or less. They may have a serious illness, but something such as wanting to stay on a medication that prolongs one's life may keep them from being eligible for hospice. And so at that point, if we encounter that patient, we would reach out to the referring physician and say, "You, we got this referral for hospice. This is not what your patient wants right now. Could we have a referral for palliative care or palliative medicine? Because this is more in line with 
where your patient is in his or her journey right now. Um, the other thing for anyone in the community, if they have a diagnosis of a serious illness or if they think that one of their loved ones does, they can reach out to us directly. Um, our phone number is 301-527-4070, or they can send an email to palliative medicine consult or PMC at palliativeconsultants.org. Um, and someone from our team would reach out to them and speak and talk to them about what's going on. And then we would reach out to a to their primary care provider. We're a consultant service, so we always need a referral from a primary care provider. We work in tandem with the treating team. So with the pulmonologist that's treating the patient for COPD, with the cardiologist that's treating the patient for congestive heart failure, and with the oncologist that's treating for any cancer. So we would need a referral from the treating physician or the treating provider. Uh, sometimes we get uh, consults from the community for people who haven't seen a provider for many years. We would still reach out to, we would reach out to them and try to connect them to a PCP so that we could make sure that they are getting the type of care that they need. Um, as palliative care providers, we, we are managing the symptoms of the serious illness, again, not treating the serious. So the way to make a referral for us is to identify the eligible patient, and that's sometimes done on from a hospice who's saying that this patient is no longer eligible for hospice because they don't meet criteria. Or it may be done by a provider who's saying that the, the patient is, is declining on treatment but wants to continue treatment. Or it may be done by a family member who says, you know, I, a family member or the patient themselves. Actually, we got a call from a patient who saw one of our physicians speak about palliative care, and he is being treated for prostate cancer. And he, he called and he said, you know, I have pain and I have these symptoms. Um, I think I need this service. So at that point, at any point that we get a referral, we would start discussions with the patients and families about what exactly we could provide. So our PMC team is made up of physicians, nurse practitioners, uh, a chaplain, and a social worker. Our, our team is made up of a chaplain, social worker, a physician, and nurse practitioner. And you, you don't have to see all of those people. You can see some or all. Um, we can align you with uh, complementary therapies that exist, um, uh, perhaps volunteers. There's lots of different things. This may sound kind of corny, but if you think of medicine as the auto industry, palliative care is the electric car. We are the most innovative, the newest thing coming to care for patients and their families. So if you're sitting at home worrying about your grandmother, your own illnesses, you haven't seen a physician, call a physician, call us. We're here to guide you and to help you. Um, on your journey. And the phone number to call is 301-527-4070. And I'm going to repeat it for our listeners, 301-527-4070. The website is palliativeconsultants.org. 
and uh, you can also contact us on the website. I think it's been an enormous pleasure to be with this highly qualified team of physicians, nurse practitioners that are so committed to improving the quality of life of patients that I feel um, this is something worth exploring. If you have a loved one with symptoms, with pain, pursuing aggressive treatment, this is, if in doubt, call us and we will guide you through the process. Thank you to our panel and audience for joining us today. This was What's Important to You, a podcast created by Montgomery Hospice and Prince George's Hospice Center for Learning with one goal, and that is to amplify the reach and the volume of diverse voices in healthcare. To learn more about what we do, please visit our website at www.montgomeryhospice.org.